Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, I'm already seeing texts coming in. There's some tricky driving conditions out there. So you please need to be very, very careful when you're out on the roads. Obviously, all of the main uh, major roads, the main roads have been gritted, but it's the back roads and its areas where there's any kind of shelter. And certainly looking at that weather forecast of temperatures today, we will be lucky if we get off zero and go to plus one at very best uh, this afternoon. Uh, so a lot of those roads, if there's heavy ice on it, it they're, they're not going to thaw out at all. So please, please drive with extreme care. And of course, what we're hearing now from Met Aaron is that temperatures could go, now could go as low as minus 11 degrees in some areas uh, tonight. There is a status orange low temperature slash ice warning and that is coming into effect at 6 o'clock this evening and then we've got this extremely cold night uh, forecast. Uh, definitely saying temperatures are going to go below minus 5 degrees but they could dip even lower in some parts of the uh, country. A status yellow low temperature warning remains in place and that's for the entire country and actually that's in place until midday on Friday the status yellow low temperature warning but this status orange which is higher than a yellow warning is for um, it's 19 counties but we're what Cork is, is in it and that comes into effect from 6 o'clock tonight with this extremely cold night uh, forecast uh, Met Aaron are, are saying that the temperatures could in some areas go as low as minus 11 degrees and that really, really is cold. They, Ms. Aaron also say there isn't a huge amount of participation about so that means no sleet or snow apart from a few showers if you're in coastal uh, areas where the temperatures are not uh, going are, are just getting significantly colder that's what happened but we're not going to see snow and we're certainly not going to see uh, any kind of uh, rain and then looking ahead uh, to see when does it all start to uh, change the Friday, uh, we're going to have sleet showers moving in from the west and they're expecting then a slight turn in the weather. The outlook for Saturday, slightly milder, drying a bright day with daytime temperatures between 2 and 7 degrees. And uh, But there's uncertainty from Sunday and early into next week. Nobody really wants to predict what's going to happen after the weekend. But it looks like we'll get a bit of a reprise from the freezing, freezing weather 
Friday evening, kind of Friday afternoon, Friday evening and into Saturday. But please drive with extreme care if you're out and about, because as I say, it is bitterly, bitterly cold out there. And thank you to a huge number of people. When I was talking to Ken and I was teeing up the book I'm going to be discussing with John Creedon a little bit earlier on. And I just happened to mention that there's a whole section in the book where they are dealing with different sort of cures that people would have used and parents, grandparents and, you know, going back many, many generations, they they didn't have doctors, they didn't have medicines the same way we do uh, today, but they had various cures that they used to rely, rely on and there would be somebody in the village would have a particular cure and you'd go and get the bottle. No one knew what was in the bottle and you'd either rub it on you, depending on what, what your ailment was, or you might drink from this bottle or you might drink from a well. And I happen to mention one of the very old, old folklore remedies is to do with if you got stung by a nettle as a child and you would pull up in everywhere where nettles grow, there's always dock leaves growing nearby and you'd pull off a dock leaf we used to spit on it and then you'd rub that onto the area that got stung by the nettle and it would take the pain away and that led to Ken saying a dock leaf he said he always called it a dog leaf so I said I didn't know if I was right or wrong anyway it looks like I was right more than a huge reaction on this the majority of people saying yes it's dock d-o-c-k dock leaf but there are other people agreeing with Ken saying yeah I grew up calling them a dog leaf D-O-G and then one listener has says just to set the record straight dock D-O-C-K which is what I'm calling it that's if you were a country girl my husband is from the city and he always says a dog leaf so that's interesting so there's a kind of a divide across the county with it between a dock leaf and a dog leaf I'm definitely going to ask John Creedon about that a little bit later on but actually when we're talking about cures and I saying you know we don't have to rely on so many of those old folklore cures because we have medicine wonderful medicine and medical science available to us uh, today but of course a lot of the wonderful medicine is only available to us if we can get to a GP listen to this from one of our listeners who uh, she's a mammy she doesn't want her name out which is fine and she said I'm writing to you uh, this morning as our GP service is simply awful at the moment while they might be doing their best it just simply isn't good enough I've been trying to get through for the last number of days with their phone lines constantly cutting off after a certain amount of rings if they don't answer now I did manage to get through today that was yesterday morning at around 11 o'clock to say that I have two sick little children now they're smallies it's a two year old and a three year old over the phone the person speaking to me at the GP practice advised me you're better off using South Dock bearing in mind that South Dock doesn't start until six in the evening so our listener waited until six in the evening and tried ringing South Dock only for them to say please try again later as all our phones are busy is it any wonder that our accident and emergency department is so busy we're failing the young and the old in this country and my heart goes out to that listener because when you have two little ones that unwell and I'm assuming you're doing all the usual like the Calpol and the Panadol to see if that's going to uh, sort it out and if it doesn't then you know there's the need I wonder do they need an antibiotic I wonder do they need to see a doctor and you can't even 
get to speak to a doctor over the phone, even to try and do a telephone consultation or a Zoom uh, consultation. Now, I do know that the Oireachtas Health Committee, and we heard this on the news with Barry, they're hearing that Ireland is in the midst of a GP crisis. This isn't going to help, though, our mum here in Cork. The Irish College of General Practitioners are making a plea for help from TDs and senators. They're saying that the pandemic brought long-standing GP workforce and the workload challenges to the fore. And uh, they're going to be speaking at that Oireachtas Committee. And certainly before the pandemic started, we would have heard from GPs who were worried going forward about the number of GPs that were due for retirement. And we didn't, we're not training enough younger doctors coming up or enough younger doctors are not interested in, in becoming GPs. We've always known there was going to be a problem in rural areas. It's harder to get a doctor to take on a GP practice in a rural area than it is in a city area. It's now getting hard to get doctors to work in city areas because housing is an issue. Cost of housing is an issue. Availability of housing is an issue. So we have a real, real problem on our hands. But I'm just wondering, when I was reading that email in from that from that mammy in, in Cork City, I was just wondering how many others have been told that you actually get through to a GP practice and they're telling you to use Southstock and that's not what Southstock, Southstock is there for emergencies but if that is happening if more and more people are failing to get through during the day to their own GP and you, when your smallies in the house and you they, they are sick and you're desperate to see a doctor then you will use the services of Southstock so if more and more people are being told by their GP practice to ring Southstock is that, is that what is causing the problems then with people who have genuine emergencies and can't get through to uh, Southstock had a lovely message in I don't have Mammy's name on this but we, we can we can check out and find out find out the mum's name here but it says could you please give a mention to my two girls and say well done to them for collecting selection boxes for Cork Penny Dinners they've already collected 133 of them with a few days to go now they did it again back in 2019 and they're hoping to surpass the 300 one selection boxes for Cork Penny Dinners that they managed to collect back in 2019. Their names are Bella, Bella's in sixth class, and Lola, Lola's in first class, and they attend Skull Owen School, National School in Inna Shannon. And the selection boxes can be dropped off at the school, Skull Owen in Inna Shannon, anytime between now and the 21st of December. Isn't that a gorgeous thing? for two young sisters to do to think about those less fortunate than themselves and it's a simple enough thing to ask people would you like to buy when you're out doing your shopping would you like to pick up a selection box drop them into the school and then I'm assuming mum or dad then will arrange to get them into penny dinners in time for Christmas and they can be distributed then no doubt on the day on Christmas Day I think that is a wonderful kind gesture on behalf of those two little girls Bella and Lola as I say don't have surnames but you know what we're going to do because I think it's just a lovely thing that they've done we have 50 euro super value shopping vouchers to give away between now and Christmas and we've decided that we want to give them away to people who are kind and a kind of as a thank you to people so we're going to give the first of our 50 euro super value shopping vouchers and their e-vouchers so we'll be able to get them out to people pretty quickly in time for Christmas we're going to give a 50 euro super value shopping voucher to Bella and to Lola now they can go off and buy more selection boxes with them 
are they can treat themselves as well because I think they deserve a pat on the back and a bit of a thank you so uh, well done but it gives me the opportunity as well to mention to you if you would like to nominate somebody I'd love what I'd love to do with the, with these with these super value vouchers is as a kind of a thank you somebody who has been particularly kind to you maybe in the last number of weeks or months or somebody who's been kind to you throughout the year if you want to email or write to us and tell us somebody who's been very kind maybe a neighbour has been very kind to you or a friend or maybe there's a teacher in your children's school who's gone above and uh, beyond maybe there's a local organisation in your area they're always out there helping people or maybe it's just a family member maybe it's just a you know you've had a bit of a rough time and a family member was there for you all of the time so if you want to nominate anybody as a kind of a Christmas thank you and we'll give away as many of these 50 euro super value shopping vouchers between now and Christmas now you can email details of who you'd like to nominate and why what have they done that you feel they deserve a little bit of a Christmas thank you you can email Patricia at c103.ie or Cork today at c103.ie or you can write to us you can always write to the programme Patricia Messenger c103 at Goulds Hill in uh, Mallow and I know the postman women are under enough pressure as it is so email is probably the best way but we will never turn down a handwritten letter so get those Christmas thank yous in to us and then between now and Christmas we'll read out a selection of them and, and try and give away as many of those 50 euro super value vouchers that we have but the first one is going to those two special little girls in Inna Shannon Bella and Lola who are just very kind little girls and they're doing something to help others and to help others that are in need well done and if you're in the Inna Shannon area and want to drop off a selection box please do skull own between now and next uh, Wednesday the 21st Cork's new elective hospital is to be built at St Stephen's Hospital in Glanmire following a decision taken by the cabinet last week well one Cork TD has now said that that new hospital has to be fast tracked to deliver better care for those not just living here in Cork but indeed right across the wider Munster region Fianna Gael Cork North Central Dáil Deputy Colin Burke uh, joins me with his thoughts on this good morning to you Colin good morning Patricia and uh, you're welcome what do you believe is the current timeline for this new hospital well, we're talking about, the Minister has outlined that it will be about 2027 before it will be completed. I believe we need to fast track. Remember, the population of the country has increased dramatically over the last 20 years, where the population of the country has increased by 1.2 million. Um, the number of new hospital beds open in that period of time has been very small in real terms. Um, in Cork alone, there's an extra 170,000. We've gone from 410,000 of a population up to 580,000. And in that period of time, there's been very a few new beds open in real terms. Therefore, we must now fast-track this development. And my understanding from talking to people within the department, there are something like 17 steps in getting a hospital built. For instance, we've now decided on the site and I've been, you know, lobbying very hard on this over the last 12 months. The HSE in the South South West made their submission in January of this year. Yet it was the 27th of September of this year before the Department of Health sent the proposal to the Department of Public Expenditure. So there was nine months uh, of what, time. Like why? Have you any understanding why that even that part would take so long? Well, I, I suppose one of the things that has happened because of the National Children's Hospital, there are now more checks and balances put in place, but I don't believe that we can afford that kind of time period anymore. I think we need to get on and deliver. Now we have to go 
and a situation in, in Cork is to appoint a design team. That will take some time. They didn't have to design the hospital. And what we're doing is we're doing one overall plan, which will be, and it will be then built in two different steps. One, will, step one will be building an elective hospital for day procedures only. And step two will be the building of an inpatient unit. And that's further down the road from 2027. So we... I think we should be trying to bring forward the time frame, um, and I think it's extremely important because all of our hospitals, whether it's the Southern Primary, the Mercy, um, the um, the CUH, are all under pressure. And uh, you know, we just, you know, then and the other problem that we have then is about making sure that we have adequate step-down facilities. I was just talking to um, someone yesterday evening where a member of their family is in, is in hospital for 14 months. Oh, listen, don't so, talk to me about home care know, packages. So we hear from people all the time. And yeah, also, so like when like you mention all those city hospitals, uh, you know, we also have two fine hospitals in the county, one in Bantry and one in Mallow, that many say we could be doing a lot more procedures in those hospitals. Yeah, well, well, you take in Mallow, um, you know, they're building a, a new, um, that, that building, there's 48 rooms going in there. And there's long-term planning been done in relation to Mallow as well in that on floor two and three, there's 24 rooms in each floor with one bed in each room. Um, that's a modular system. So that's floor two and three. On the ground floor and the first floor, there's another 40 rooms, and it is hoped that that would be developed for rehab purposes. Now, there isn't any funding for equipping that or staffing that, but at least there's long-term planning gone yeah, in. Yeah. Now, the, but, the again, big, but the big one with this elective hospital, I'm assuming, is going to be the design stage and then the planning process, yes. and we know how long that that can take. Absolutely, and I mean, the you know, say the design team, that'll take some time to appoint a design team, then it's about getting the plan in place and going and building it. And, you know, one of the things that, that happened during COVID lockdown, we had to take action in relation to providing healthcare, and we reacted very swiftly in providing that healthcare. And I think, you know, if you go across Europe, we had, you know, and it, it, I think everyone is grateful to the whole input by P- HSC staff, by doctors, by nurses, by care assistants, by everyone involved in making sure that we kept the number of people that died from COVID at the, uh, as low as possible. And I think, you know, we should now take the same type of um, incentive and, and, you know, work very hard to try and deliver at a far faster time frame you know, population has increased. It's going to continue to increase. And just to give you an idea about increase in population, since the 1st of January to the 31st of October, and I'm not even counting November, there were 260,000 new PPS numbers issued. Yeah, well, so, that's, yeah, but part of that has got to do with what, what Ukraine. Well, that's 65,000, but it's 260,000 issued. So, you know, we have an increase in population. We have a lot of Irish people who were working abroad coming home. We have also people coming from, you know, as far away as Brazil uh, and India coming to Ireland uh, are getting jobs. And you yeah, take well, in relation, uh, yeah, and they're, in filling, relation, they're filling skills that we don't have in this country. Yeah, and you take, for instance, even the, you know, the population from Ukraine, 11,200 of those have got jobs here uh, and are working. So, like, the, the jobs are being created, there's a demand for staff, and you go to any place now, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's shops, you know, they, everyone is finding it difficult to recruit staff, and therefore the demand is there. But, but the health fine, isn't, it's isn't fine creating catching jobs. up with them, yeah. It's fine I, creating I, jobs, but we must also 
make sure we have the backup support that it, that it is to accommodate then whether it is housing, whether it is healthcare, and part of the healthcare delivery is in relation to having an elective hospital. Okay, and before we would even get to an elective hospital, uh, we are already this morning hearing from people having problems getting to a GP. We've one young mother; she's too small. He's a two and a three-year-old. Her GP practice yesterday told her to ring Southstock. She couldn't even get through to Southstock last night, and she's making the point: if her children get any sicker, it's to the A and E department. She's going to be queuing up. You, you're on the Aractus Health Committee, aren't you? Yes, and you're the Irish dealing with that issue today. We're, we're dealing with that issue today. I was in contact with the Irish College of General Practitioners. They launched a policy document there about three weeks ago. I made a submission to the Health Committee that they would be brought before the Health Committee, and they're in giving a making a presentation here this morning. As I'm speaking to you, they're they're in the committee, uh, and I'm I'm going immediately back to that committee meeting now. But the um, they have there's major challenges. For instance, fourteen percent of GPs currently in Ireland are sixty five or over. That's fourteen percent of general practitioners. We need and they are working towards increasing the number of trainees, but we also need to increase the number of nurses working in general practices. At the moment GPs are not getting sufficient funding to be able to employ nurses. Um we have about two thousand nurses. We should double that number and that would actually assist um greatly in relation to general practice and I think we should really work hard to deliver that aspect of uh, and dealing with the challenges that GPs have at the moment and it is a problem um, I, I think in Skibbereen I think I think three, uh, three GPs have retired in the last six, eight months haven't been replaced so there's no We have the issue in, going on in Blarney where the GP practices one is going to close at the end of this year and the patients have been sent as far as Palancolic because the yeah, other well, practice is full <coughs> The other practices are full, and of course, that is an area where you have a growing population, whether it is Glanmire, whether it is Blarney, whether it is Mallow. Again, Mallow would have a challenge in the sense that you have a growing population. You're then going to have the challenge of trying to get GP practices. So what we need to do is increase the number of people who are trained uh, to be GPs. The um, Irish College of General Practitioners have now also introduced a new programme where they're going to um, you know, train people who are from outside of Ireland to become GPs here in Ireland. And no matter where we go in the world now, we're competing on a world market for any one with any kind of a medical qualification. Yeah, and, and we're losing some of our own staff. They're going abroad as well. We are, and like it's like, for instance, we have, if you take, um, we have over, I think over uh, 21,000 doctors in Ireland, at least one third of them are from not only outside of Ireland, but they're from outside of Europe. Yeah. So at least one third are from outside of Europe. Yeah, if, we, I, yeah, if we lost all those immigrant workers in the health sector. Uh, and in fact, you're disastrous. finding now in, in the smaller hospitals as well, you know, the, you're finding more and more it's uh, non-Irish doctors are being appointed as consultants because there is there there isn't the the numbers available um, to apply for the post here. And you could go back say 20 years ago when a consultant post was advertised, you might have up to six or eight uh, candidates applying for the post. Now you're lucky to get more than two.
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh. Listen, I'll let you get back into that committee uh, meeting because it's an issue I know I will return to again, Colm. In the meantime, yep. thank you for that and thanks for joining welcome. us this morning. That is uh, Fine Gael, Cork, North Central, Dáil Deputy, uh, Colm Burke. A lot of texts and comments coming in about GPs and people trying, having difficulty ac- accessing their uh, GPs. I will get back to those. But on the elective hospital that I spoke to Deputy Colm Burke about, a different Colm uh, says, Colm Burke is saying we need to speed up the process because we need this hospital in Cork more than ever and we need it sooner rather than later a a different column one of our listeners says Patricia you have to bear in mind it's taken about 20 years for the health department just to name the site location for the new elective hospital here in Cork it'll probably take another 20 years for that hospital to be built. Thank you, Column to 0862103103. Now, with the countdown to Christmas well underway, a wonderful tradition for many families is a trip to the local pantomime. Top of the list for us here at C103 this year is Cinderella at the Everyman. And to see how this year's panto is going, I'm joined by the gorgeous Catherine Mahan Buckley of CADA and once again the producer director of the panto at the Everyman. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Always freezing's on the season that's in it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And it's looking, it might be freezing cold, but it's looking very festive, the weather is, oh, uh, for sure. Oh, my God. The, the, the weather is, is in our favour, at least. Do you what, know what I mean? What panto number is this for you? 28 years, <sighs> would you believe? 28 years. Mm. I'd be, I, three murders and I'd have been out. <laughs> 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 and and with, all, with all the COVID restrictions lifted, is this one even more special? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we, we did last year, Aladdin, and we, we were the last panto standing in all of Ireland. Yeah. But it was a nightmare, Patricia, because I had to wait every morning at half past eight for the stage manager to give me the thumbs up that everyone was clear because we all had to do antigen tests. And you could imagine, then I knew that on that day we could do the panto, but I didn't know whether we could do it tomorrow. That was the reality of that. So we were living on the knife's edge all the time. At least this year, it's a little bit more relaxed. Yes, we're taking all the precautions. Yes, we're doing all the things, but at least we don't have that fear of. And we're playing to full houses. Last year, we could only play to half houses at that stage. And things changed, kept changing all the time, as you can imagine. So it, it is great. Yeah. You know what I mean? you're, ba- you're back to some kind of normality. Do you still absolutely. get? Do you still get nervous ahead of saying particular opening night? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I I have never repeated the script. I've repeated the titles, but I've never repeated the same script. And so, therefore, you're going into, you know, I suppose really sometimes I keep saying into the black hole. Whether you're going to be accepted or rejected would be an, uh, would be could be another thing from an audience point of view. You also have to be very aware that every five years, you have a new generation. Mm. So it's very, very important that you're strong enough to assess and evaluate. And I look back now, say, on my very first panto was Cinderella as well. But I had to see Cinderella as this little girl who was dreaming to find the handsome husband who was going to mind her. This year, I, like, when you think how, how you, we've come full circle, She's now almost like she's an entrepreneur. She um, <laughs> she's she has her own jewellery uh, stall in a market, and she's well able to stand up to the uglies. So what I did was I turned the uglies into bold. You know these teenage era. They're not bold. They're kind of looking at us and almost looking at us and saying, you know, um, how you've lived in the world so long and you know nothing. You're a dinosaur. 
you know, and like, yeah, or talk to the hands because it's very <laughs> interesting, you know. So <laughs> Laters, so, laters. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's fabulous. But it, it does prove as well. You know, we're, we're living in a world of technology, which we have brought into the into the kind of script as well, because the uglies are big into their hashtag.com. They have their own little, uh, you know, pod, as the fella says. But I, I looking at an audience at the moment, and you look, technology working human contact. Will, technology will never win. The, the, the idea of watching the audience becoming engaged, laughing, shouting, roaring, it's just amazing. I'll give you a little story that happened only there two nights ago or three nights ago. Um, they don't mind. I, I find children don't mind um, watching uh, somebody getting roughed up, like the, the ugly doing cinders, roughing her up. But touch one of the kind of little toys and you have nearly a riot on your hands. And we have Buckles this year who is played by Andrew Lane. He has his own teddy bear. And because he has anxiety, but what one of the ugly ripped the teddy bear? Oh my God! Three rows we thought were going to storm the stage, and one <laughs> at the back shouted up, "You f! You can imagine what he said. All you are is an f." Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was. You know what? It was a breath of fresh air. But you know, it just proved to me human contact yeah talking and and actually you know when you talk about technology you know folks leave the phones in the bag and even or in the pockets and leave them switched off if you have to bring them with you into the theater it's there's nothing worse than it's like when you go to a concert and you see people you know oh my favorite song and they start filming it you think enjoy it oh i i just feel i feel that as well and i i actually get quite cross I really do if somebody has this camera up in front of me. Like, I do go out and just say, I, I to one of the stewards and say, I need that turned off. Mm. I don't. I didn't come here to watch um, the show on camera. I came to see a live performance. And I think more pe- the more people that do that, then the message will get across to people. Yeah, yeah, Leave yeah. your mobile in your bag. You don't. You and listen. Yeah. If you need to be contacted, what, what did we do in the past when we didn't have mobile Absolutely. phones? You didn't need to be contacted. You don't. There's nothing happening that you need to be contacted that uh, urgently. Absolutely. What is Absolutely. it, Catherine, about Cork audiences? We love our pantaloons. We do. We absolutely adore them. I think it's a kind of a. They, I love the. I think they love the idea of them being involved. Yeah. You know. Um, and and I suppose the panto caters for every age group, from you know the, the the child that's coming in for the first experience to the older person. And I suppose do you know what I think they love as well? Maybe the the adults love, are the inner voice speaking. You know our inner voice that I could be talking to you or you could be talking to me, but something else is going saying something about me in the in in your head or in your heart or whatever. And I think they love that. They love the singing. They love the dancing. They love the storyline. And I think the most important thing, though, is keeping the storyline pure. Even in Cinderella, it's a mod- maybe a modern version, but the storyline is exactly pure to what, you know, to, to what you were told, I was told. And we just branch off. It's like a tree. What if? And come back. What if? And come back. But keep 
keep it pure at the end of the day. Well done, well done. Yeah, I was you know? talking with a friend of mine a couple of years ago who was taking uh, her smallies to the pantomime and she kind of fallen out of favour with pantomimes and hadn't really gone to see a pantomime, you know, in many years. Yes. And she was kind of half going, God, I'm going to go to the pantomime tonight. And I rang her the next day, said, well, how did she get on? And she said it was magical. And she said to watch her children watch the pantomime she said it brought her back that when she was a five and a six year old and she fell back in love with pantomimes all over again and I just thought oh and and I think a lot of adults do that if they they went as children and then they mightn't have gone in their you know their early 20s and suddenly now when they have families of their own they're back in there again and I absolutely adore when you see entire families go where granny and granddad is brought along as well I think it's gorgeous and it's it's, you, you know there's something lovely about the family the tradition as well you know and equally you look at it as well Patricia in it's a fantastic training for actors because they have to sing dance act plus react to audiences shouting up at them mm. and it, you know and it also gives an actor and people people employed in panto 12 weeks work That's which it. is a quarter of the year do you know which is fantastic and out of those training of people like when you see I mean we have the children back in this year which is brilliant this is the children that perform because children and adults love children performing. Mm. So they're back in. And I just think it's lovely because, I mean, I look and see now children who started as junior chorus went on to doing the teenage chorus, went on to do the ensemble, went on to do, you know, they're like, they're like people like Sarah Green, Daryl O'Leary, who choreographed the Olympics. They all started here in the That's evidence. it. That's it. That's you know it. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and the confidence that it gives young people get them Absolutely. up on stage. At the, there's something, and you've got Even a couple of special performances coming up. You've got an an yes. audio described performance yes. and touch tour. Yes. For visually Which impaired children. Really, yes. Uh-huh. Really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to it. Um, I just feel everybody needs to be included. Everybody needs to be catered for. We're very strong about that. And we're going to broaden that picture uh, within the next two, one or two years. Okay, and I know the, this, the Irish Sign Language one that's on after Christmas, that's yes. on the 7th, Saturday right. the, the 7th. And if people go on to the Everyman, you can check out yes. those special performances. Absolutely. Okay, and you're running Absolutely. now, you run until the 13th of January. What? The 15th of January. 15th. 15th. And how long do you take off over Christmas? We take um, Christmas Eve, yeah. Christmas Day, St. Stephen's Day. Three nights. We're back. Ah. Two, uh, two shows then a day. Well done. And some, some three, three, three shows a day. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Listen, uh, and I people... suppose, Patricia, can I just say one thing? You know, people need to laugh today. They need to lose their anxiety. What is the best recipe? Go to a panto and let it all out. <laughs> Everymancork.com for, uh, for tickets. Catherine, pleasure as always. Have a lovely, lovely. Christmas. Same to you, and, uh, Patricia. Thanks and for joining us. Thanks a million. Happy Talk Christmas. Bye bye, bye bye. Bye bye. That is the wonderful Catherine Mahan Buckley, Buckley of Cada, but the producer director of this year's pantomime at the Everyman. And it is Cinderella. And I know some of our listeners have already won tickets to go. And we heard back from them all saying it was a fantastic show and well worth going along to. See. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I mentioned GPs earlier on and the problem some people are having accessing uh, their GP because the GPs are so stretched uh, stretched at the moment and that's led to a flurry of texts and calls. Let me bring some of them to you. Uh, hi Patricia, we 
GP and trying to get into a GP practice. I'm with a large GP practice in the North Cork area. Now, I didn't need to actually see the GP. I was only looking for a six month prescription. Um, I needed to have some bloods done. I was told the cost for that would be 25 euro. Then I was told, sorry, you need to have a phone consultation with the doctor. That will be 40 euro and then it will be 30 euro for the prescription. So 95 euro in total just to get the prescription and to pay for the meds. Anyway, I was given a link to pay for the phone consultation in advance of the consult of, of the consultation. I don't use my card online, so I wasn't able to pay. I wasn't in the town to pay as I'd only 24 hours and I'd only 24 hours to pay. Guess what? I didn't get the consultation call and hence I didn't get my prescription or because I didn't pay in advance. This to me speaks of rip off and I wonder am I alone or other people because they can't pay in advance missing out on and this varies. This, this will vary from GP practice to um, no, another GP practice because I certainly have rang my GP practice for repeat prescriptions and when I'm in on the next visit I get asked to pay so I suppose it's varying from practice to practice. Thanks for your text. Hi Patricia. There was no problem one time in getting in to see your uh, doctor that was when we lived in good dear old Ireland there are too many people coming into this country how do we expect doctors and hospitals to cope it is a joke it won't get any better the government don't appear to really care and they're not doing anything about it. Happy Christmas to you. Many happy returns. Hi Patricia, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If doctors and nurses are trained in this country, they should be made to sign some kind of a form to say that they will stay here for a minimum of three years after they graduate. We would always then have a turnover of new doctors and nurses in this country. They do it in other countries so we're not reinventing uh, the wheel. Other countries have done it. We need to do something similar we're in real, real trouble now with our health care system. John in Mitchestown says, I phoned my GP and obviously it's one of the larger GP practices that's got a number of different GPs. I wanted to see a specific doctor. I was told, well, if you want to see that doctor, you'll be waiting a month for an appointment. This seems to be happening in a lot of GP practices. Hi, Patricia. Just on the message for the mum who contacted you with the two smallies and couldn't get into her GP, just to let her know that there is a walk-in GP service in Douglas and it's great. I'm here at the moment with my daughter. I couldn't get a GP appointment until next week, which is way too long. She has an ear infection. Oh, the pain of that. As I say, I'm here now and there's only one person in front of me. I wonder, can you send in more information on where, where is that walk-in GP practice in Douglas and is it open to anyone or do you have to be in that particular practice in order to go let us know if we're going to give or if anybody has more information on that and Shay in Mallow greetings to all at C103 on the GP problem in Ireland you're talking on this topic a lot lately Patricia and thank you by the way for highlighting it so much but it's come to my attention that you're actually doing more about it than our government as not once have I heard them mention that they are doing a single bit to try to ease or solve the problem with lack of GPs in this country. If anything, they seem to be doing more to make a bad situation even worse. They're bringing more and more people into this country that they can't provide for. Some of those poor people are arriving here in a fool's journey, thinking they're coming for a better life until they get here. Are the government waiting for the big bang on this and do what they then do best, close the stable door after the horse has bolted? It's absolutely disgraceful. All the government are worried about at the moment is swapping out the Taoiseach role in order to prevent Mary Lou from getting in. Leo came up with a great idea a few weeks ago that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil should transfer votes in the next election to hold on to power. If he is that kind of 
confidence in his own party, then he shouldn't be need to dream up plans like that to look for transfer of votes. And that's from uh, Shea in Malawa. Not here to defend the government, but they are. And I did mention it when I was speaking with Colin Burke earlier. The Oireachtas Health Committee are hearing today from the GPs. The Irish College of General Practitioners are going in and they're making a plea for help now. So let's wait and see. Will they be listened to and what reaction will the Irish College of General Practitioners make? Because they're going in to tell the Oireachtas Health Committee that we here in Ireland are in the midst of a GP crisis and something needs to be done about it. JJ Hurley has contacted the programme on this uh, issue. Good morning to JJ. Good morning. Good morning. I'm listening to your, your, your comments there with, um, I don't know, I, I don't know, the, you know, the reality of good morning. And, and, what, and the reality is, it, this isn't just isolated in some GP practices. We're hearing it from all over the city and county. And imagine if I went nationwide with this, every GP practice is under pressure at the moment. The first thing to say is the worldwide problem. I'm not here to, 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 to uh, defend the government I think, or any politicians. Because the first thing I think we have to say in this country, we're being disingenuous to our people. We have an ageing population. That's the first thing to say. Reality. Okay? Mm. Secondly, uh, secondly, all over New, New Zealand offered um, nurses going to New Zealand residency. No, they're so short in New Zealand. That's what they're offered. So it's not just commentary. But we need, we, you know, we go back as far as Brian Cohen. I was just writing his name, name there, James Riley. He was going to come in with a master plan. Uh, Sinn Féin are going to give, and, and all the other parties are going to give out free GP cards to everybody. So the reality is, how many of us go into... GPs and GPs will, will say this, but they won't say that out openly. They are snowed under with GP with with medical cards for underage. They can't cope. So we're having elect, elections done by I, I believe I believe elections done by politicians. When we need to sit down in this country and talk about reality, let's let's be honest about it. Trish. If I'm a fourth-year medical student inside in UCC at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. Am I going to become Am I going to become um, a plastic surgeon earning over 300000 or whatever they're earning, 250000 which they're entitled to do it, or if I'm a cardiologist because I can save somebody's life? We're all going on about Messi. Messi gets millions for playing football, yet we have cardiologists who save our lives. So the reality, I, I think, right across the board we spoke about here. So if, if I'm going to be a cardiologist, am I going to do that? Or am I going to become a GP and become into the likes of West Cork? And you see, what people don't realise in relation to, and I know I've spoken to GPs, uh, people might know I write for local papers, and they don't want to say it, they don't want to go on the record and say it because it'd be absolutely that basic. You people giving out there about, oh, I had to pay this fee, and, uh, that's the reality of running a practice. How mm. much have they got in there? How much are they paying for their building? And, you know, they have a life to live as well, you know, and that's the reality of it. But if you're in West Cork, for example, and you're a GP, you have a, it, it's based on the amount of people that you have in your practice. So if I'm a young GP coming out of Cross City, I, I'm coming out of UCC, I'm far better off to go to Douglas, where all my, you know, my patients are closer together. Um, I'm in the city. I have all the resources I want. You know, I have, I have a nice lifestyle. Or am I going to say, and I don't, and are I Yeah, and it'll be a bigger practice with more patients. And remember, when when a GP takes over a GP practice, and if there's X amount of medical card patients and X amount of patients on a GP visit card, they get paid a set fee, regardless of if I go once or if I go 15 times in the month, if I'm on a medical card, they get a set fee for the year for that patient. Yeah, 
absolutely. I listened to Sean Crow this morning on another news programme and he talked about getting, we're going to get more GPs. Come back to what I said. If I'm a student of medicine, UCC at the moment, do I want to go to Castletown Bear and become a GP or do I want to become, um, a, a, you know, a consultant? I, I know what I'd be doing. They work hard, they study hard. But you see, the reality in this, pro- in this country is we don't, we don't look at the problems. We're talking about people coming in, we're blaming people coming into the country, we're blaming this. Let, let's, we, don't, we can go back when Brian Cowan was, medic- was Minister of Health in this country. Long before we had people coming to our shores who were asking for help, and, uh, you know, and he named the place Angola. How many years ago has that been called Angola? Yeah, yeah, and, and what always frustrates me is they throw money at it. It's one of the biggest spending departments in this country. And every time there's a crisis, every time there's a problem, oh, we'll pour in another 10 million. Give them another 10 million. Oh, oh they need 50 million. Okay, we'll put that in. Money does not solve the problem. Money has never solved the problem in the Department of Health. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I think politicians have to stand up and, and be real and, and tell the truth. And I would far better to be voting in two, in two, and I think the reality people listening to this programme would, would have politicians telling the truth. Let's, let's, let's look at people who, who are getting medical cards. There are so many people, there are so many people that are ringing your show every day that deserve them and they don't get them. So, should we just carte blanche give out medical cards to the under five? Absolutely not. What we should be doing is means test people. How many people have medical cards for underage children and yet have private health insurance? If you can afford high, private health insurance, I would much prefer to see those deserved cases investing in money in our health system but we're not doing it because we're running with political stunts and I'm going to tell people need to be very careful in this country in relation it needs to become real and stop believing in politicians that are handing out money so that they want to be elected so that we can it, it's like it, it is a, it, it's a punch and duty show at times and um, it, it's not real and I think politicians okay. And in, and in the meantime, we, we now have an issue where it looks like the Irish College General Practitioners going into the Rockdus Health Committee today to plead their case. It looks like now we're going to have to look overseas to get GPs to come in to work in practices in this country. They can't get them in, in, they can't get them in the yeah. UK. They and they'll, they'll be France. fighting all those other countries. You're right. You're right. OK. All right. Listen, you've made... One, just, can I just say one more point? And you can. And I think it's important to say this. What about the mental health of our GPs that are in the practices? What about the practices? What about the people that are working in practices? How about their mental health this morning? You know, when we go in and GPs are, are dealing with issues, we forget that. They must be under ferocious pressure as well. Of course they are. Of course they are. They're working flat out at the moment, for sure. All right, listen, JJ, Hi, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Joe was on to say that their local GP service uh, is now closing for a half day on uh, Wednesday. And we only have the one practice in Kilmallock. So it means on a Wednesday afternoon, there's no GP available in the area. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. With the new Charleville Nursing Home. Find their current available positions at molumhealthcare.com forward slash careers. Construction worker wanted for a new house development that's in Court Mac starting in January of next week. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com Electrician apprentices are wanted for a North Cork electrical supplier of solar, PV electrical vehicle chargers, energy monitoring and electrical contracting. Email Dylan 
with your CV to office at northcorkelectrical.com. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. They're looking for seasonal bar staff pleased to work over the Christmas period. Kieran, your contact 022 And an office manager with a minimum of five years admin experience is required for Mill Street. A drone pilot is also required for either of those positions, CVs and a cover letter, please, to HR at MonsterDroneServices.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Texts in about people having difficulty accessing their GP or trying to get an appointment or trying to even get a telephone appointment uh, with their GP. I'll get back to some of those uh, comments later because I want to move on because a new report has found that grocery inflation in Ireland has hit a record high of almost 15% with a family's annual shopping bill now costing about €1,000 more than it did this time last year. Cork Penny Dinners are at the cold face of rising prices and Katrina Toomey has said she's alarmed by what people are facing this Christmas. And we've invited Katrina to join us this morning. Good morning to you, Katrina. Morning, Patricia. And, and, you, and morning. You're, you're welcome. Um, I, know, I know I've asked you this before, but I'll ask you again. Have you ever seen it as bad as it is this year? No, no. This is the worst year ever. It's very harsh. And, um, you know, as you say, we're at the cold face of it and people are just coming. They're distracted. They just want the basics and food and stuff to get them through. And that's, and because we have so many to, to look after, it, it, it just means longer hours for us and stuff just to make sure that nobody nobody goes hungry at Christmas or nobody goes hungry any day at all because nobody should ever go hungry. So I suppose that's what we're trying to take the sting out of Christmas for people. You use the word distracted. Tell me what you mean by that when people come to you. You know, people are coming and they have very, very little dimpling, you know, and, and they're coming to us. What we give them is we give them a hamper and there's about 100 euros worth of food in the hamper. But, you know, with a family, that's not going to last either, you know. And we know it's only a drop in the ocean for them. It means they probably just won't go hungry, like, but they still have other issues. They have bills to pay. And, you know, before, if you've got your gas bill now, say, one week and your electricity bill the week after, well, no, you know, you could maybe manage to pay your bills that way. But no, nobody can manage to pay all of the bills that they have. And they're chopping and choosing which bill to, to pay. And then on top of that, then they have the, the, the price of shopping. So, Everything is affected by it, but what's affecting the people and why people are stuck is it's affecting their money, their budget. And we, and, their budget yeah, and we know that when the bills come in, people prioritise the bills to keep the light on, the heat on, the roof yeah. over their heads. So what can they save? The only thing they feel they can save on is food. Food. And, yeah. Food Food is the first that'll, that'll be hit. And, and they'll do every, everything else first. But no, they can't even do the everything else. So there's food and then there's the bills. There's bills, you know, and they can't even pay a full bill because, you know, you hear people saying that, oh, normally I'd get a, an electricity bill of 150. It's now 299. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a massive 
leaped like up and, and people just have the, the cash to stretch to that. So that's what the problem is. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So then the next bill that comes, they have nothing then left for that bill. Do, Do some people still find it extremely difficult to reach out to a group like yourself and say, I need help? They do. Yeah. They do. They're especially those who would have been okay, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're not. They can't stretch to the bills anymore. So everything is affected. They're worried about their mortgage. They're worried about their rent. They're worried about getting to and from work. You know, how are they going to pay for the diesel, the petrol, and, and stuff like that. They're worried about school transport for kids. Everything is costing, everything went up right across the board. Whereas before, if diesel went up, the diesel would go up or the petrol would go up and you mightn't hear of anything going up for another little while. And but we, yeah, and we just, we just moan about that one thing. But yeah. now it's, it's yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to understand what you mean now by distracted. If you've got all yeah. of those constantly... God, it's no way, way, way to live, is it? To have all of those things constantly no. going around uh, in your head. No. So you're obviously seeing, Katrina, a lot of people coming to you for the first time. Yes. And we, we have businesses that are closing and they're just, you know, ringing us to know, do they want their stock? They just have to bite the bullet and shut down. They can't keep them their, their places open. They just can't afford to pay the staff. They can't afford to pay their bills their rates, whatever else they have to pay, they just can't do it. And, and they can't afford, the, you know, basically the bill has crippled not just households, it's crippled small businesses yeah, as well. The small independent stores, I'm always trying yeah. to advocate for them. Now the government will say in their defence that they're helping with additional payments and the electricity credits. It, I mean, with the clients that you're dealing with, is it just simply not enough for some people? It's, look, it's not enough. Okay, the government gave 200 but what good is that 200 to somebody whose bill has gone up by 220 or 240 so actually if if your bill was 150 as i said and then the new bill that's the new bills that are coming out and if it, that's jumped up to 399 now the 200 is 50 49 euros short yeah so it's you know it's not it's not, it's, not even, it's not even covering the increases in some cases. In, in the bills, yeah. For, and the, the majority of people are saying the same thing. 
and then we have the the housing crisis we have people that are homeless and they can't get in and people that are working can't get any place to rent they're desperately trying to get places then they find it hard to get into hotels and B&Bs one is of course kind of probably because of the cost but there's no property around at the minute for people to to rent or there's very very little and it's kind of word of mouth though yeah and we're running out of emergency um accommodation and we're in the middle of this really really cold spell i mean i've been saying it i don't think i've got warm uh, since the weekend i seem to be cold into my bones and every evening i think of my god can you imagine somebody being out in this and there are there are rough sweepers they're out yeah we've seen them and it's it's heartbreaking to just see them and to know that you that there's nothing further that you can do you know we just have to just feed them and, and just check that they're all right give them sleeping bags give them hats gloves gaffs you know the usual like we're, we're we've been given out thermal vests no long sleeve vests and long johns for people who are so grateful to get them because they'll do anything to try and keep warm but the, this cold spell is really cutting through people it's, and it's cutting through people on the streets and it's cutting through people at home when they won't put on their heating, when they won't light their fires. The price of coal is crazy and the price of gas is crazy. Everything. And people are just afraid now. Yeah, we could really do without this cold spell. I was speaking with Paul yep. Sheehan of the Simon community, you know, and we were talking about the rough sleepers because he said, unfortunately, there will always be people, you know, for a variety of different yep. reasons, won't won't come in. Uh, even yep. if it's just a, a, a piece of floor under the stairs, there's one person had to sleep in, in, in the Simon yep. community this week. But he was saying they go out then in the morning to check to see the people are still alive. I mean, just that's, that's really got to yeah. You know, it, it baffles me that this is happening in our country because we have a great name around the world. Like, I've been a good, kind-hearted, good people that looks after people. But we can't be checking on people in the morning to see if they're alive. That's, that's wrong. The very thought of it is wrong as well, but it has to be done to make sure that people are there. And, like, if, if people don't come to our door, we'll make sure that we get somebody to call to them to make sure they're okay. If we don't see them, you know, when yeah. they, they they usually come down, because anything could happen. It's happened to us before. So we were kind of, you know, if a person can come down, say today, and then if there's a no-show tomorrow, we definitely intervene then, you know, just just to be on the safe side. Okay, it always annoys me when I see the odd text come in about somebody saying, no, nobody should be going hungry in this day and age if they budget it properly. Oh Th- that's, it's just, God, you're so you off the mark, like you were so off the mark, so you have no idea. Mark, yeah. You have no yeah. idea. We, we have families where there's both parents working and they can't, yeah. they just can't do it. They cannot, you know, they're budgeting on a budget. Well, I've I've spoken over the years with people from Mabs who say that when somebody at times when people come into them, they're better than any accountant at the way they've been able to budget. Yes. Do you know what I yes. mean? And they and they still yes. can't manage. Yeah. Okay. And Chris, Christmas dinners, um, Katrina, will you be serving Christmas, Christmas dinners? We will be yeah. serving Christmas dinner, and we'll be taking dinners to a lot of people. You know, they won't be venturing out on Christmas Day. We 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 do it every year. <coughs> so we have our list. We have our drivers. Michael Turtle will, t- you know, and some guys from the army, the local guardie, and we have families like that will come on the day, you know, and the lot because you know you can't just use one vehicle to transport all the meals. Whereas if we have loads of vehicles, which we have, 
they'll get to, you know, three or four in one area so that everybody has a piping hot dinner okay. that way. So we kind of have it down to a yeah, tea. You do, right, you like do. It. And, and as always, yeah. the people of Cork... Uh, so kind and so generous. I only I'm mentioned really. I only mentioned this morning two little girls down in in a Shannon collecting selection boxes for you, and she, they're, they're, they're up to one hundred and thirty thirty three, yeah. and they're hoping that they can beat their record of in in twenty nineteen when they when they got three hundred and one, and they're you know you isn't know, that great? Just, yeah, and like we have Blarney Street School now coming down to us shortly, and every pupil carries a bag of groceries down the entire school. No, brilliant. People are great. And it's what a gorgeous thing to instill in young children that not it's everybody brilliant. is as fortunate yeah. as they are. Yeah, and, and we have loads of transition year students now with us at the minute and they're absolutely outstanding. They were a, a, a credit to their, to their schools and to their to families. their schools and to themselves. They're brilliant. Listen, absolutely. if we don't get Incredible. to speak again, have a happy and a peaceful uh, Christmas, Katrina, and uh, let's I, hope and 2023 will be better. Yeah. And everyone that supports us, you know, through your show and from your area down there, like it really means means that we can keep going and we, nobody will go hungry and all watch at all ever. Look after yourself. Thanks Thank a million. You, Thanks a million. Thank what a great woman she is. That is uh, Katrina Toomey from the wonderful, wonderful Cork Penny Dinners. And it's, it's shameful to say that in 2022, we need the services of Cork Penny Dinners. And God knows we need them this year more than ever. Now, and let's stay, having just spoken with Katrina Toomey of Penny Dinners, let's stay on the topic of people who need a little bit of a helping hand this Christmas because the wonderful Casey's Bar and Restaurant in Clonakilty is putting together a free Christmas dinner for people in need, as well as those, as well as those who may be spending the festive period alone, and to find out more, I'm joined by the owner of Casey's Bar, and that's James uh, Casey. Good morning to you, James. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm very well. And listen, I'd love to give you a great big round of applause. It's fantastic what you are doing once again, organising what is a really, really generous uh, initiative. Take me back. When did all this start? So when we first started it in 2015, Christmas 2015. And we've been doing it every year since. So I suppose the reason why we did start to do it was we have a lot of elderly customers. So we have a roast of the day, different roast of the day every day. So they nearly always come in for a roast dinner. Okay. But then we noticed, you know, they're always coming to us and what would happen to them Christmas Day. So we just came up with the idea, I suppose, of supplying them with dinners Christmas Day because most of them, not all of them, but most of them, would be on lo- alone Christmas Day with no relatives or anything like that. So it was just a map today and, you know, to make it some bit um, Christmassy and for them to have a dinner as well. Because and when no one... It, no, when it started in, in 2015, and God, I'm thinking, it's not that long ago, but what a very different Ireland we have in, in 2022 to what it was in even in 2015. But and, and how many dinners did you give out the first year? So... Off the top of my head, I think it was in the 70s, 70 something, and then yeah. other years, then it kind of jumped to maybe 90s, 100s, 120s kind of thing. And you've extended it out, it's not just for people on their own, you're saying anyone who's in need. So this year, then we kind of changed it up a bit for the year that we had and everything that's going on. So not only for living alone, but anyone that is in need or a family that might need to know. Uh, doing very well financially or anything with the increase of bills and everything, we'd be very happy to help them out on Christmas Day as well. And explain how it works. It's it's a, it's a kind of a, call, a drop-in service on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, yeah. So uh, any time between 12 
and nine, it would just pop in to be all discreet and everything, come up to one of the staff and just say, look, looking for one dinner, three dinners, five dinners. And within 10 minutes, we'll have it all bagged and packaged and ready for them to go. And they can either put it in the microwave or the oven in Christmas Day. Oh, incredible. And is it is it the typical Christmas dinner with all the trimmings? Yeah, it's traditional turkey and ham <laughs> Christmas dinner with, uh, with all the trimmings and a dessert as well. Oh, you throw in a dessert? We do indeed, yeah. Just to kind of finish it off, I suppose. Yeah, and I'm thinking for those those people that you described at the start, for those living on their own, you know, as you say, nowhere for them to go on, on Christmas Day for whatever reason, no family, no, nobody around. You're not, I mean, I was thinking even if I was on my own, you're not going to cook a Christmas dinner for yourself. No, there's no way that someone, well, I wouldn't anyway go to public cookie, talking in a ham and everything, especially when it's just for yourself, you know. And over the years, have you had feedback from, from people, James? It, it's been really, really good. Um, it is all positive, very, very good feedback. And what I really do like, there is, for one example, this, there's a couple of different examples, but one example, there was a young fella, I think he was about 15 or 16, who knew of elderly neighbours that was living alone with no relatives or anything calling Christmas Day. And he his family actually invited him down to stay at Christmas Day, but they said, no, we'll be invading your family and you spend your time together and we'll be fine, don't worry about us. But he actually went to the trouble of getting Christmas dinners and delivery to them, which I thought was really, really nice and you know, thoughtful and caring for a young fella. Like. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. But this, James, of any other year has been such a difficult year for everyone, but particularly for the hospitality sector. But you still feel the urge to give back to the community? Yeah, Clannacilty, it's kind of hard to describe. Clannacilty is very close and tight and you know, the community is absolutely brilliant. There's a committee for everything, from Christmas lights, you know, to festivals and organisations, and everyone is always um, doing something and try to promote and better Clannock Hilti, you know. So this is just kind of our way of helping the people. It was kind of a, a blank spot that I found, that I saw that, you know, there was no one helping. So I thought that was kind of my niche to jump into, to helping people out living alone are in need. God, wouldn't I love if there was a James Casey in every town, in every village doing something similar. What, what, what a difference we'd, we'd, we'd make to the world. And and people don't need, or do people need to can contact you in advance or is it simply just call in on the day? Just call in on the day. We are well equipped for whatever comes. So just call in on the day. No need to book or order or anything like that. And give us 10 minutes and we'll have everything bagged and ready for you to pop away again. And do suppliers help you out with the cost of it, James? To be honest, a few of them actually do. We do never ask for anything for it. But like, um, there was one supplier there, Michael Moore, Fruit and Veg. He was always very good. Like, he'd drop in a bag of carrots or a bag of onions or whatever, you know. To help out. That's fantastic yeah. to him. And, and really listen, I can't have you on air without, and we, I, I did give you a shout out at the time, but you won a top award at the National Irish Pub Awards last we month. We did. Was that we a huge did. thrill? Absolutely massive. Um, and what made it even better is that we didn't have any clue or idea that we were going to win it. So a lot of businesses and pubs had speeches ready and, you know, everything ready to go. And we were so convinced that we'd have no chance in winning it that we didn't have anything prepared or anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> so did you wing it on the day? <laughs> we we won it on the day, yeah. Yeah, but did you? But did you did you wing your speech oh, on the day? <laughs> I did, I did. I uh, in front of four hundred and fifty people. So you, you knew you'd be nominated. We knew we'd be nominated. Yeah. But, um, a pub in Clonakilty in West Cork never thought compete against all the big bars and all the rest of the bars all around Ireland, and yeah. we never thought we'd have a chance in winning the national pub of the year award. Yeah, just to be nominated is a win in itself, isn't it? Massive, yeah. Yeah. So we won the regional, which was Cork. And then all the regionals went into the All-Ireland. So, and so we were even godsmacked that we won the regional, let alone the national award, you know. Well, listen, it is so, so well deserved, I can tell you that. Listen, a huge thank you for everyone that you're going to help out on uh, Christmas Eve. And I know you'll say it's a team effort. There's a, there's, a, there's a great team behind you as well. But listen, well done to each and every one of you, uh, James. And have a, have a happy and a peaceful and a busy Christmas as well at Casey's Bar. You're very good. Thanks very God much. God bless. Patricia. Take care. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts uh, coming into us on the programme this morning. Helen uh, was listening with interest to, to James Casey of Casey's Bar in uh, Clonakilty and that wonderful, generous thing that they're doing of giving out Christmas dinners on uh, Christmas Eve for those in need or for those who are going to be on their own who wouldn't then go to the bother of cooking a Christmas dinner and might be sitting down with nothing nice to eat on Christmas Day so they can collect a Christmas dinner and just simply heat it up and have a gorgeous Christmas dinner with all the tr- trimmings thanks to uh, Casey's Bar and Clown. It's just such a wonderful, kind gesture. Helen said a few years ago she used to do something similar for a neighbour of theirs who lived on his own. Helen said we'd have our own Christmas dinner and then we would plate up a dinner and head off to the man's house and bring him his Christmas dinner and his dessert. Myself and my son would also bring along just a small plate of dinner just to sit with him and make conversation so that he wouldn't be eating his dinner on his own. He didn't want to leave his own house. I mean obviously Helen had asked for him to come down and join him but a lot of people don't want to leave their own houses. They really don't and if you get elderly people they can get set in their ways and they feel more secure in their own homes. Um, So Helen said so we took Christmas to him instead. That's a lovely, kind, generous thing to do. I'm assuming the way you're speaking in the past that he's no longer with us, Helen, but well done. And a lovely thing for your son to witness you doing because that's instilling such kindness and compassion and empathy into your children and they'll carry it through for the rest of their lives uh, for sure. Well done, Helen. Okay, um, we we've Katrina Toomey on the wonderful Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners and of course anything and she was fulsome in her praise of uh, particularly people in the county who help Cork Penny Dinners. Obviously Cork City people are fantastic to help Cork Penny Dinners as well but people in the county are great at organising collections and that's what keeps the work of Penny Dinners going. So a couple of people have been on just to let us know that there are some collections taking place for example somebody was on to say that this coming Sunday there's a collection going to take place in Whelan Hall it's from 11am on Sunday morning until 2 in the afternoon and it's uh, they'll bag it all up box it all up and get it up to Katrina and the rest of the people in Cork Penny Dinners and of course any food stables that you put in they'll put them into the hampers then that Katrina spoke about to hand out to families who otherwise would go hungry uh, this Christmas without the work of uh, Penny Dinners so that's Whelan Hall on Sunday and then someone has sent in this uh, I don't know if there's a name on this or not but there is a Cork Penny Dinners drop off point 
Wednesday the 14th, which is today from five o'clock this evening until nine. It's in Kiskame Community Centre. And they, what they're looking for to collect for Cork Penny dinners, they're looking for Christmas gifts for children of all ages and in particular to try and remember teenage boys and girls and adults, new toys, new clothing for Christmas and obviously at the moment any kind of warm clothing. And then on food items, they're looking for gravy granules, tinned rice, salt and pepper, cooking oil, cereals, dried pasta, any kind of hand wash, peas and beans, tea and coffee, tinned fruit, biscuits, fruit and veg, toilet rolls, soups, jellies, sugar, Christmas cakes, juices, bleached, etc. So kind of anything that you'd put in your ordinary shopping basket, I tell you, is what they're actually uh, looking for. And they will accept checks and cash as well, which obviously they'll then pass on to everybody in uh, Penny Dinner. So if you want to go along there, that's in Kiskane Community Centre. But that's today. OK, that's happening this evening between five and nine. Once again, the generosity of the great people of Cork and because of that generosity, Katrina and her gang can keep the fantastic work that they are doing going. Back to GPs and lack thereof of GPs and people having problems trying to access GPs and problems that people are having, even you know, getting into a GP and some people then are ending up in hospital because of it. Some of your comments in on that. Martin said he a nail went up through his ankle. He said it actually went right through his welly boot that he was wearing. He contacted his GP who said no, not, nothing to see here, nothing to do here. Go straight to A&E. A&E. Martin says all he wanted was the GP to take a look, look at it but they were sent straight to A&E but he says he's noticed. And I'm assuming this is, I don't know if it's since the pandemic or in the last year or two when we had the pandemic he says he's noticing that you could be at least waiting a month to get an appointment at a GP, which is crazy. If you And again, we're not saying it's all GPs. It's some of them. Some of them are obviously busier than others, but to ask anyone to wait a month. But I take it, as a, as a previous listener pointed out, if it's in a large practice and you ring up and it's an emergency, you will get to see a, a doctor. But it's if you're looking for a particular doctor and we all have our likes with doctors and you want a particular doctor, then you may be waiting for that particular appointment. Margaret said her brother rang the GP. She said this is about a year and a half ago so we would have been right in the middle of the COVID uh, pandemic. He wasn't able to get uh, an appointment um, and all he really wanted to do was to speak to a doctor but he was told nobody was available. Anyway he waited, the pain got worse and it turned now I'm assuming he ended up in hospital then at some stage because he turned out he was diagnosed with an abscess on his spine. Within seven days my brother ended up paralysed, were absolutely heartbroken. My brother's only 56 years of age and he's a farmer. Whoa, that is tough going. That really, really, and that's what happens when there's delays. I mean, we're already hearing because of the way the hospitals all had to shut down and all the focus was on COVID. The Irish Cancer Society and various other oncologists are saying that they're now seeing people present with cancers, advanced cancers, uh, because they didn't go near a doctor or didn't get going anywhere near a hospital consultant during the pandemic and we know how early intervention and you need to get in there as quick as possible. Now, I don't know. I don't know the specifics of this particular case uh, would would if, the, if, if, if that man, a 56 year old farmer had got to a GP and got to a hospital earlier, would the outcome have been different? But to think of him now paralysed, I can understand when you say our hearts are uh, broken. 
Uh, we wish your brother nothing but um, luck and hopefully, I don't know if he will be able to make a recovery or not, but it's a, a difficult journey ahead for him and indeed for the rest of his family. And Michael says, Patricia, speaking of GPs and doctors recently, just when I say recently, says Michael, just in the last three months, two young doctors from the West Cork area that I personally know of have emigrated to Australia, both of whom were working at the same hospital. If hospitals cannot keep our own young doctors, how in the name of God can we encourage young GPs to move into a practice, particularly a practice in a rural area? That's from Michael. And we're waiting to see what comes out of the Oireachtas committee meeting uh, today when the GPs go in to put forward their case. And Anne is agreeing with somebody who was on earlier with the suggestion of when we train our doctors and nurses that they should sign up to some kind of a contract to say, look, you're getting your education here. You need to commit. You need to give something back and that they commit to at least staying in this country to work for three years. And then if they want to go off and explore the world, and that's what young people do. And I would never stop a young, you know, educated person going away and spending time abroad. And, you know, countless generations before have done that and then have come back. I mean, even to hear Colin Burke talk about the number of Irish people who've returned to Ireland and they know that by the number of PPS numbers that have been generated and, and reactivated. So a lot of people go away for a couple of years. Now, some will end up staying, some end up falling in love and setting down roots and will stay. But many others go away for a few years and then they come back. So I don't think anybody wants to stop young people uh, from doing that. But we're in a particularly tricky situation when it comes to the medical profession. So I wonder, has that been looked at committing doctors and nurses and and I am assuming people would say put it right across all of the medical professions that when they train here and they get their education here that they stay on for at least three years and as somebody pointed out earlier we would then be guaranteed that when that three years are up there'll be another set of doctors and nurses and physios and audiologists and, and whatever you're having yourself there'll be another load you know another ready having having come out of training and to work in our hospitals listen at this stage I think you know we need to I think look outside the box a little bit and and come up with something because we have a major problem in today we're we're talking about the GP surgery but this is across the disability sector it's across the hospitals going to the mental health service they really struggle to get mental health nurses and as was pointed out by Colin Deputy Colin Burke it's not just this country, it's other countries as well. So we're fighting other countries who are coming in and offering our nurses and doctors what are seen as better contracts. We need to do something and we need to do it fast. Joan says, hi, Patricia, I may be wrong, but I'm thinking since COVID, our GP visit seems to have changed completely. I'm wondering, are some GP practices using COVID as an excuse in order just to do telephone consultations with uh, patients? A telephone consultation is never good enough according to Joan and I do know a lot of GP practices are doing that. John says Patricia if our government paid the doctors and nurses a fair wage they wouldn't be going abroad to other countries. I feel we only have a puppy government. I've never quite heard the government uh, described as that a puppy government. And John says that's and then a different John says Patricia aren't we a great country for other countries and emigrants and yet we don't seem to be looking after our own people. Only yesterday the Irish government committed three, 30 million euro to Ukraine while what's happening here in this uh, country. 
Hi Patricia, this is Martin in Formoy. Uh, doctors in Formoy Medical Hall are fantastic, very nicely mannered. And I'm assuming from your text there isn't a problem getting an appointment there, Martin. You're, you're lucky that's that we're not hearing from other GP practices. Who says, P.S. I'm still on four or five cigarettes a day. That's Martin in Formoy who keeps checking in with us because it's helping him to stay off the cigarettes. <laughs> so well done to you. Thank you for that. And, and keep it up. Um, keep it up. Morris is another one of those when I was speaking with Katrina Toomey. It says, what? Uh, what about the money some people spend on drugs, fags and drink. There should be no one hungry in this country if they budget their money properly. Uh, Morris, I, I had a similar comment that I put to uh, Chrissy, C- Katrina, if you're talking to people drinking drugs, you're, you're talking about people in active addiction, which is a, a very, very different uh, story. This is the Court Today replay on C103. An Irish Folklore Treasury is the latest book from much-loved Cork broadcaster John Creedon, which, by the way, picked up Best Irish Published Book of the Year at this year's Irish on Post uh, Book Awards and is also nominated for the Eason Book of the Year Awards. To chat about his latest offering, the simply wonderful John Creedon joins me. Good afternoon to you, John. Good afternoon, Patricia. Chat is probably too big a word for it. I can croak at I can croak at you. Oh but whatever, no! <laughs> but whatever it is, I can assure you, you can't catch it over the phone. Okay, you're you're, you're, and and it's not the dreaded COVID. No, no, no. I've done my antigen test, and I'm certainly touching wood. And this is no proud brag or anything, but. Um, I've managed to get this far without COVID, but uh, whatever this is, it just started out like there are so many things on the go at the moment. There is. I'm actually sounding grand now, but it's um, it's more like a tickly cough. But I was croaking like a frog on the air last night. I was embarrassed. Oh, um, a frog in your throat, and it was there since it was a tadpole. Something like that. But yeah. it certainly has uh, grown to full size. But no, listen, I'll weather it. I'm a big boy. Yeah, well, yeah, well and, done. Uh, well done. Well and, done. And there are worse things for sure. Okay. Yeah. Now, your book is a collection of stories from the National Folklore Archive. This was the school's collection that happened back in the early 1930s. Just remind us about the origin of that collection. Sure. Sure. Well, funny enough, watching the Irish Civil War on TV there over the last two nights, it reminded me of. What an exciting, um, terrible time it was when we were the birth of a nation. And as Ireland emerged and unshackled itself or decoupled itself from Britain bit by bit by bit, in the 1930s, we were still the Irish Free State. So we still hadn't achieved um, the status of a republic. And uh, at that time, we had the Irish Folklore Commission. They were set up in 1935 and they had a brainwave in 1937. Given that we had lost so many of our public records in the shelling of the four courts during the Civil War and the subsequent fire in the public records office, they said we need to get the story of us down on paper as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. So they handed out 50,000 copybooks to 50,000 fifth-class children in the National Schools of Ireland and told them, go away, ask your mom, your dad, the oldest person in the house, the oldest person down the lane, and get the story of us about St. Patrick, leprechauns, banshees, um, hard times, hedge schools, the famine, you name it. And what we have now is close on half a million pages of school children's essays, most of them aged 11 or 12 at the time. And um, I've always been fascinated by this archive, uh, but I was, I was shocked and really honoured when I was told I could have keys to the state. And with the help of Josephine Weatherford, and I can't understate how brilliant Josephine was, she really knew every twist and turn in the archive. Uh, she helped me to select, well, to bring it down to about a thousand entries first, but eventually down to book size. So it is a hefty book, but in there are loads of little stories, some of them very quaint. I find a lot of them hilarious because... So do I. The, you know, well, the innocence, the, the, 
Um, in some cases, you know, you can almost see where a grandparent is winding up a child and giving him a, or her a very fanciful story. But there's a, a huge amount of it is very revealing, and it's from all over the country. There were a, there were a couple of Cork ones that kind of jumped out at me. I mentioned them to JP there during the week. Um, there was one, uh, one there from Fremont, which describes hurling. And if you remember now, this was gathered from a grandparent before the kite on, before we, the GEA was founded. Mm-hmm. So this person had lived, like my own dad, for example, told me, this, this is in my introduction to the book, my, my own dad told me in the car one day that he knew a man in the famine. I got a fit of laughing. I said, Dad, you couldn't. The famine, this is 20 years ago, he told me this. I said, sure, the famine was 150 years ago. And he went on to trace the story that as a little boy of five or six years of age in Inchigila, he would go out with Dennis Lucy in my father's father's uh, model tea truck delivering meal out around the western peninsulas, out around the Bear Peninsula and so on. And um, that he encountered an elderly man who was lived into his 90s and who told him on several occasions about a thing that happened to him back in the famine days when the ambulance, as they called it, it was an old crib, um, a pony and crib, that was sent out from Bantry Workhouse to collect the dead and dying, was tied up in the middle of Glengarriff, and this little boy, skipping down the street with his friends, had a sally rod, and through the wicker, poked a man who he thought was dead in the back of the of, of the of the crib. But the man was alive, and he brushed away the stick. And this elderly gentleman told my dad, back in the late 20s, that my dad was born in 1919, so maybe 1925, 26, he was telling my father that although he was only a little boy when he had done this, it was to his immortal shame that he did such a terrible thing. And I said, Jesus, Dad, I said, you, you never told me this before. He said, you never asked me. And that's, that, that's <laughs> and my that's point. The key, and, the and, yeah, and that's the key. And, and that's what happened here. Now, obviously, teachers played a big role. Um, and, and that's why you would have more stories coming from some parts of the country that had teachers who really had the foresight to realise how important this collection would be to future yeah. generations and the likes of us now, you know, nearly 100 years later, sitting and reading these stories. Well, I was flattered that uh, Niall Murray in the Irish Examiner in his review said that every classroom in Ireland should have a copy of the book. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, but anyway, uh, because the INTO, as it was, even back then, back in 1935, it was the Irish National Teachers Organisation, they helped uh, the department, uh, or the, the, the Folklore Commission, by administering the the Baluchan or the collection, and it was they gathered up all the copy books and it, you, you know something I have to say, Patricia. At one stage, when I was going through, I knew my mom and dad would have been too old for this in 1937. My my dad would have been 18 or 19, and my mom would probably have been 16. So I knew they weren't going to be in the in the archive. But I went rummaging and I found two of my aunts, my ah, mom's two young sisters. How fabulous! Yeah, I have to say, I went. I absolutely wept when I saw the handwriting. Um, and both of them um, had suffered a lot in their lives. They were two beautiful, beautiful gentlewomen. They're buried side by side now in Adrigal, only a mile from the schoolhouse where they wrote these little essays. Oh, my God, and you, and that's you know, incredible. You know do you know one of the fantastic ones is my father told me, he said, your Auntie Martha had the most beautiful handwriting. She kept all the parish records and bloody blah, blah, And sure enough, you there got it to was. See it. Beautiful script. And signed at the bottom, Martha de Bloch, Oma Aher, Kuyashaflindish, collected from her father, age 57, a man I never met, who was younger then than I am now. And he was sitting at the table with, he had 10 girls, my mom was one of 10 girls, no boys, 
So he was sitting there with number nine and number ten, doing their upper balia and writing down the folklore. And do you know what subject Martha wrote about? Go on. The place, the place names. Oh. Believe it or believe it, so Brishin and Tukas, Maradera, so... So the I apple never some... falls far from the tree, does it? Yeah. Anyway, back yeah, yeah. to I, I, back to. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking when, when I was reading when I was I've really enjoyed reading this book um, at home in the evening time this week, and I was the at one stage I looked up and the TV was on and the World Cup was on and you know some soccer player and who it was fell over and all oh, the wailing and the gnashing that was going on. You'd swear to God his right leg had been ripped off, and the story that you tell of. The hurlers in Fremont. God, they were tough men. That that was absolutely gas. Yeah, that, 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 that there were several stories from North Cork. There's good from West Cork there, but there was one account from um, an elderly man called Dennis in in Fremont, and he said that back when he was a young fella. So we're talking about the GA was um, God, this was 1880s, wasn't it? That um, it was standardised, and we all adopted pretty much monster rules for hurling. But there was a time when it was house rules, depending what parish you were playing in, you were playing a different form of football or slightly different, or you were low kicking the shins or you weren't low kicking the shins or whatever. But in this case, he described a hurling match. He said the lads from Fremont used to go up to Tully Lease. The games, he said, were usually 50 aside, held after match, about 50 aside. There was no referee, no sidelines, no goalposts, I know. <laughs> Any stick at all with a twist at the bottom could be used because, I mean, you weren't getting your mass-produced hurlies at the time. And he said games could be up to six hours long. A usual score, a typical score, he said, would be about 20 goals each. All you had to do was drive the slitter, which hadn't changed much actually since, um, over the fence of the opposing side. And, it was and a that was a goal. Basically. Yeah, that and that was a goal. Yeah. But then what he said was, and I just thought this was fantastic, and I quote, he says, it was usual to have a good fight between the rival players for a finish. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, at least something's never changed. Uh, and, uh, and, and the men were so strong, they didn't even notice the hard knocks. They were so drunk. Yeah. They were probably well, there was, there was probably a bit of that as well. And of course, it's also, you know, it, it's, some of the stories go back even further. The one fra- out of Bantir about the, the evictions, you know, it's taken us back to 1882 when yeah, evictions uh, were taking place. Yeah, and again, it's a children's tongue. It's so matter of fact. This was gathered uh, in Bantier County Cork. I have some great old friends up there, Deedees and Foley's and all the rest. But uh, the school teacher was a Sean O'Sheacon because we do give the um, the sources. And so Mr. Sheehan was the school master at the time in Bantier. And uh, it was a young lad by the name of James O'Connell who passed on the story. But anyway, in the heat of the hunt, what he describes was awful, really. It was kind of the evictions. And for me, not only are these stories of value in themselves, but they, I think they cast a light on why we are the way we are in terms of the story of us. So when I hear people whinging about the small farmers and the poor mouse and this and that, you need to understand where this is coming from. This is coming from 700 years, and if you as much as put a window in your house, you'll be bloody well taxed on it. So people have to keep them, their, their cards close to their chest. And in this case, um, if you don't mind, let, let me just give you a couple of lines. Yeah, this. please uh, do. Yeah. Exactly, from the school book, from the copy book. On the day of the evictions, old Timothy Murphy, known locally as Tiger Salon, or uh, Tiger Vassal, the old piper of Liar, ran to Liar's boys' school, where the children of the evicted and others were present. He spoke as follows from the school door. The evictions are on in Churchfield today, sir. The late Jeremiah Sheehan was principal of the school at the time and the monitor was John Dennehy. 
permission was granted to the excited children to view the red coats and the evictions from a height nearby. Many of them could see their own humble houses being entered and the contents of their homes flung out, leaving an indelible memory on many of their minds to this day. You know, when we talk about trauma, I mean, trauma comes from the Greek Greek word meaning uh, a wound. There's There's a lot of pain inside a lot of us. Maybe we don't know where it comes from sometimes. But for little children, to, to witness this as though it was like an event, yeah. um, when in fact they were actually watching their own parents and themselves being traumatised. And as you well know, Patricia, to watch someone else being traumatised is to be traumatised yourself. Yeah, yeah. So so while, while it is a first-hand account of a village and of a story and of a day and of a school teacher and of a child, the, the bigger picture is, is even more important, I think, is, is, is as you flip through the stories, and some of them are very funny, you know, you'll see what, why we're known as talkers and cast characters as well. But you, you kind of, I, I, I see the complexion of the Irish, the native Irish, particularly in this. Um, and there are some actually very warm accounts of landlords. There are one or two. There's one there from Derry, if I can remember the landlord's name. Um, and he was particularly kind. I mean, he literally cashed in all his chips to try and save his tenants. There were other accounts there of Quakers who came. And then there were more recent ones, like this, this school days. What, you know, what struck me, and, and, I, and I, um, I don't want to be ageist about this, but I think uh, people of a certain age, perhaps yourself and myself, might recall inkwells in the classroom and things. So the, the, the school children of the 1930s, their existence wasn't hugely different to my, my mm. school, school days in the 60s and 70s, you know. So um, there's a lot of in there that, that actually spoke to me. Whether it be yeah, and 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 it's you know it's all to do with as you say a much more uh, simpler time as well, and it struck me as I was going through it with the cost of living crisis. We can learn from these stories. I mean, they wasted nothing. No, absolutely nothing. I mean, I was surprised. I thought I knew a bit about this, but I mean, people were making their own candles. There were, um, you know, between flax. Of course, we're not really growing flax anymore. But um, again, I think it was from up around, it escapes me now, but it was certainly North Cork again, or was it, yeah, it was up around, up around Rock Chapel, Rock Chapel. Um, it was about um, how people grew their own flax or people saved their own wool. And uh, once the sheep were shorn, they would carve and they would spin it and they would do as much as they could. So if they brought it to the tailor, and most tailors back then were travelling tailors, um, you know, the, the, their work was so... I suppose limited. People made it out of their own chemises and their own undergarments and stuff. But um, so a tailor was there for, for finishing off the garment in the same way as a butcher was only used for finishing off the pig, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So so people did it themselves. There was candles. And you know yourself, I mean, I remember, well, you know, hunting the hen or even the pig from a back door. I remember that well. But that whole notion of, of it being symbiotic that um, the family, the animals, one of the observations I make there is over the centuries how from ancient Celtic times when cattle would be within the closure and the people would sleep with the cattle for security and warmth and it's like the crib uh, and everything else. Eventually they were moved out to a bahan or to a lean-to on the gable end. could be the donkey house or whatever. And bit by bit by bit by bit the animals had been moved out to slatted units and you know what I mean. But So you can see those patterns and you can see um, you can see the warm glow of, of it's, it's almost like a nativity scene in some cases, the family, the animals, and um, that, that just being together. 
and all those yeah. little cures and things. Well, the cures, I have to say, that was, if I was to pick a favourite section of the book, I have to say uh, the cures. I, I absolutely adored, including the one that came, I'm sure it was out of West Cork. It was Bear Island, it was, that if... Um, they gave a number of cures, but one of them was long ago. The people used to gather sheep's droppings and boil them with milk. And then you give the milk to the person uh, who would have measles. Oh, Absolutely. my God. And but actually, <laughs> and actually, when they're talking, <laughs> they, 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 they talk in that about the carrageen moss and the seaweed. And God, we know now huge cures in seaweed. Well, they were well, well ahead of their time. That's one of the things that struck me about that was an awful lot of the old wisdom that was poo-pooed when we went all scientific. Um, it's back in vogue again. And the funny thing is, Patricia, if, when you look back, um, we now have complementary medicines sitting side by side with uh, conventional medicine, and or whatever the correct term is, the PC term is, but I would say conventional medicine. Um, and so people go for physio, they go for acupuncture, they go to the GP, they mix and match where required. And forever, Ireland has been a heady portion of miraculous medals, doctors, healers, folk cures, holy wells, pilgrimages and if the worst comes to the worst and all it depend on the old flat seven up and a rubber the relic so and I have to say I am convinced that uh, Mrs Doyle in Clon- my hometown of Clonmel talking to yeah. her uh, daughter um, when she was giving her various uh, cures um, one cure for the measles was to meet a man with a white horse and you ask him about it whatever he says will cure it there's a cure for whooping cough it's to swing the person three times under an ass's stomach there's a cure for a cold it's to catch a, ma- a, ma- a mouse boil it in milk and then the person has to drink the milk and it cures yeah. the cold it, uh, 100% she was winding up her daughter who believed every single word of it but, but I've encountered the exact same cures in my own studies the exact same ones pop up again um, so so there must I'm not sure that there's any science behind it but um, like for John example, John if someone has yeah. whooping cough you do not swing the person three times under an ass's stomach <laughs> well I, I, it's worked for me <laughs> <laughs> Would you go away? And uh, you're as did bad the, as Mrs. Doyle for, from from Clonmel. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the cure for war? I, I, I thought I knew the one with the snail. Yeah, oh, I thought I knew. I that, thought I knew that, all that, Yeah, that that one. And actually, this morning when I was teeing up that you're coming on the program with uh, Ken Tobin, and um, we were yeah. I, I, we were talking about nettles, and I was saying that the the dock leaf we used to always use the dock leaf when we were kids to get rid of the sting of the nettle. That led to yeah. a discussion that he said that they're called dog leaves, and I said no, it's a dock leaf, D O C K. And we opened up the phone lines, and we got a mix a mixed um, reaction with some people saying that posh people call it dock leaves. And that people in the city call it dog leaves. Which did um, you call it? I, um, I always call it a dock leaf. Dock, but, um, thank you very but, much. But, 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 but as a boy, I wouldn't have known how it was spelt. And if someone said to me, it's a dog, I would have, yeah, you would I would have, have believed them. Um, but I think, yeah. and, and by the way, um, I was only thinking about this folklore collection earlier in the year because I got a book from Terry Carney and uh, Margaret Murphy in West Cork who put together the yes. stories of the revolution. Have you seen that? They've tried is, to is, do. They've tried to do their own version of it. Is, is, this, is this the one in Skibbereen? No. Yeah. 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 I, I saw that. It's not from the same collection, though. No, 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 no. Sorry, it's modern day children. They got the oh. they got the children of today during the, well, it was during the pandemic. They got the children of the Brilliant. pandemic to speak to their grandparents, and they've Absolutely. taken. So in a hundred years, somebody hopefully will come across this one and will be able to have a similar chat. Well, I, I was probably, I was wasting my time, I know, but I gave a brand new, lovely 
kind of a diary and logbook to my eldest granddaughter about two years ago and said, Molly, why don't you write down everything you think about about uh, about the pandemic and about COVID and who got it and if you miss your friends or whatever. And I was explaining to her, you know, the diary of Anne Frank. She said, yeah, I heard about that. I said, well, I said, why don't you write down everything that you are thinking during the pandemic? You know, she never did this, unfortunately. But I thought to myself, people will be looking at journals in the future and say, mm. you know, I miss my school friends. I never liked my teacher, but I miss her now. Or we went to the beach again today. There was nobody there. Or, you know, so that kind of project, I think, is fantastic. And God bless whoever came up with the brainwave in the last census to put in the panel where you were uh, encouraged to put in your own thoughts. Because people put in, I'm sure, stuff like that. I wish this pandemic was over. Or Mayo are never going to win the All-Ireland. Or, you know, people know, put in I whatever know. they thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, a, and, and yeah. that stuff will be treasured. It will, like, 100%. Like, OK, before yeah. I let you go, some texts in. Um, hi, uh, Patricia and John. I remember the cattle being in the farmer's kitchen and lambs. And, and lambs. It was oh, very yeah. normal, says Anne. And another listener says, would you ever please tell John I'm a retired nurse and I knew Teresa and Martha well, two great ladies. Wasn't Brilliant. that gorgeous? Wasn't that gorgeous? That's lovely. That's lovely That's to lovely. hear. Hi, Patricia I, and John. I had warts when I was younger. There was a green plant growing by the side of the river near our home. You would break the stem and some white substance would come out and you'd rub that yeah. on the warts and that got rid of it. Cathy uh, yeah, McCroom yeah. says, well done, John. There's only one John Creedon, no matter how he sounds. And Pauline says, oh, well done to John Creedon. He's a great <laughs> communicator. He's such knowledge of the local area. Yeah. Thank him a million for cheering us up. Happy Christmas to one. Well, well, Patricia, do you know what I'd love to? Uh, what I'd love you to read out is the one that said, "If he knows so much about old cures, why doesn't he go away and cure his cough for himself?" <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's a pleasure as always. Look after that cough, Brilliant. and, um, and we'll okay. speak again. And if I could just say one thing, now it, it's exceeded all expectations in terms of sales and all that, and I have a horrible feeling I've been told by the publishers it may run off the shelves before Christmas. Oh, if that, yeah, if that happens, and um, the, the cavalry are on the way. There's a, there's a, a third reprinting on the way in January. So um, if it's the case that you really want one, you can always give someone a, a book token, perhaps, and they can pick it up themselves in January, if yeah. that happens. Yeah. But they're predicting that. They're saying it looks like Brilliant. it's going to be gone. I'd, I'd love to see it sell out and sell out quick. They wonderful well, it's been a labour of love. It, well, well, and it's, it's, it's beautiful, and it's beautifully produced, and the, we didn't even get to talk about the illustrations. It is gorgeous. Uh, and right. Irish folklore treasury. And full credit to the children as well, by the way, because they really were the worker bees, you know. I just polished it. And full credit to you, John Creedon. Thank you, John Creedon. Thanks a million, Patricia. Good afternoon. A happy Christmas. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie A couple of final texts. Norrin and Clonakilty says, talking about GP practices, I want to give a big shout out to the Waterfront Medical Centre in Clonakilty. Nothing is too much bother for the staff there. And John says, hi Patricia, I'm listening to people complaining about our government. Their memories are very short. Remember the great way they got us through the COVID pandemic and the HSC computer disaster. I'm very thankful and I don't care who is in office. That's from John. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock onto the line. Patricia Messenger, very good afternoon and stay warm. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 